Thank you, Brendan. Um, it is an honor and privilege to be sharing with us um, today. I'd like to start with a prayer first. Sure. Lord, we just pray that the, you will reveal your heart to us today. Amen. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, so I'm just going to start with a short story of my life a little bit. Um, so when I was growing up, one of my biggest motivation was uh, financial security because uh, my family had a lot of uh, financial debt. So we, our family ended up moving almost every year, running away from loan sharks. And when I was like in third grade, uh, some of the loan sharks came, put, uh, locked us up, the kids in the room until my mom came back with money to free us. And my dad was in the Middle East all that time trying to uh, work and pay off the debt. So growing up, I thought, okay, the money is the issue. Money is the issue while I was in the, had to move around all the time, why I had to uh, be embarrassed like that. Um, so that was my motivation growing up. So that led me to study hard, uh, work hard. But when Jesus met me, he changed all the motivations and all the reasons for living uh, upside down. And in the Bible, we can see that Apostle Paul had a motivation to persecute Christians and to live out the life of law. But when he met Jesus, his life turned upside down and his motivation changed and everything changed for him. So this lesson us to today, the text for today, which is 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15. Um, when the text comes up, I'll read it. So for Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Amen. So here in this verse, Apostle Paul talks about Christ's love compels us. Here the word compels, it means control, it means press on, it means something that kind of urges you on. So the question for today is, how can our lives be compelled by Christ's love? I think we all agree that Christ loves us. But how can that love compel us? Not that we just agree with it. And first, let's look at the verse again. So I think there are three ways that it will help us to be compelled by his love. The first, in the verse it says, because we are convinced. Right? For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced. I think that's a key word here, convinced. Because a lot of times we agree that Christ loves us, but are we convinced of that? And the, for example, we can agree that uh, airplane is safe. We can know the physics, and we can know about all the people who have traveled safely. But unless we get on the plane, we're not really convinced that it is safe. We may agree that it is safe, but we're not convinced of it. So when I was a kid, um, another story, um, I had a fear of water. <laughs> I just could not believe that I could float. Um, I knew the physics. I knew that other people swim around. Because when I was about 13, I went on a trip with my um, school retreat. And I was just about to learn how to swim. And then there was a swimming pool there. There was no lifeguard. But I was like, OK, maybe I can just kind of tread in there. So I went into the water. And then I started swimming toward the deep end. And when I got to the deep end, I suddenly panicked. And then, you know, when you panic, your body becomes like denser. So I started sinking. 
And then as I'm sinking, I'm looking up, I'm like trying to swim around, but I wasn't floating back up. And I was thinking in my head, everything slowed down. And I was like, okay, this is how I die. I just look at the water that like a light coming from the top and I was slowly sinking. And then suddenly somebody pulled my hair up onto a floaty. And my friend was there around, I guess he was near the pool and he said, he saw me going down and he thought I was gonna come back up and he, I never came up. So I guess he came with a floaty and then just pulled me up out of the water and put me on there. So since that time, I stay away from the water. Even in college, I had to pass the swimming test to graduate. So I took a class to just to pass, but I was never convinced I could float. So for 15 years, I still work from water. But about like five years ago, when Lydia was small, uh, we went to a beach and then when we go to the beach, the kids love playing in the water, but I always sat on the sand because I'm, I wasn't gonna go into the water, right? Even if I go, I gotta make sure my toes are touching the floor. But Lydia wanted to go boogie boarding and then there was nobody to go in with her. So I had to go into the water and the yoke beach in Maine. And then she's like, come on, dad, you gotta just get out of the water, let it float. Of course, when your daughter like, is kind of like egging you on, you gotta come try it, right? So I tried it and guess what? I could float. Oh my God, my kids remember when I came back and I said, I'm floating, I'm floating in water. And I became convinced that I could float. So since that time, when even when I go to a swimming pool, I tried to swim because I know I could float. So there's a difference between agreeing with it, but being convinced of it. And Jesus, you know, he says he loves us, but then are we convinced of that factor? Are we convinced that God hears our prayer? And are we convinced of it? And a lot of times it's when we actually take a, into sort of analogy, when you go into the deep water, when you take a plunge, then you know that you can be convinced of it. For example, when we hear preachers saying God provides, we may agree with, yes, God provides all things, but are we convinced of it? It is only when taking the word into our heart and we say, okay, I'm gonna give away what I have, which it could be a time, not necessarily money, it could be prayer, but when we do, we realize that God provides more for us. When we give our love to us others, when we give us send a text, or when we give a call, when we give us a gift, whatever, when we give, we realize God does provide, that he doesn't run us run dry. So that becomes a reality and we become convinced of it. And when we hear that God heals, right? We agree that God can heal. We agree that God hears our prayers. But unless we actually pray for something, we don't know if it's, we're convinced of it. Because let's say there's some need that there is there. If I pray for it and it happens, I know God answers the prayer. But if I never prayed about it, even if it's God did answer somebody else's prayer, I'm not convinced that my prayer had any stake in what happened. So it is only when we actually bring into it ourselves and be convinced of it that the word has a power in us and the Christ love can compare us. It is only when we are convinced of this love that we can be compelled by it. So another thing is like during this COVID-19 season, we believe that we agree that church is the body of Christ. We agree that fellowship is important, but are we convinced of that? Once we left the church building on Sundays, 
has the church become just Sunday listening in? Because then we're not really convinced the church is body of Christ. We're not convinced that it is a place where God is to be worshipped. So, but FKDP actually plunged into it by reaching out to people in your group, people who um, your life group, it could be in your own, your other group. And as we reach out to build that sense of community, then you realize, wow, I am convinced. Because as you give, as you receive, that you become convinced that the body, the church is body of Christ. So let us be intentional in our Christian life. Let us read the Bible and let it apply in our lives so that we become convinced, yes, God does speak through the word. Yes, God, this is a God's word. And let us be intentional in prayer so that when, as we pray with purpose and honesty, that we become convinced, yes, he hears us. And yes, he answers us. And let us be intentional in fellowship with others so that we can be convinced that church is his body, not just the social gathering. And in Jeremiah 29, 13, it says, you will seek me and find me. Let's put that to our heart. Let us be convinced that when we seek God, that we will find him. And Psalm 5, 3, it says, in the morning I plead my case to you and watch expectantly. So let us be convinced that as we pray, we will watch expectantly of what God's going to do in our lives. That it is true. It's not just a mere agreement, but it's being convinced. So second point, how can we be compelled by Christ's love? It's by knowing our need. Let's go back to the verse. It says, after it says, for we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. Why is this important? Why does Apostle Paul focus on the one died for all, and therefore all died? It is Jesus who died, and therefore all died. So as I shared earlier, when I was a kid, my child was colored by my experiences. Um, in addition to the financial thing, you know, I was a sickly kid. I was being bullied um, because I was sickly, you know, like quite an introvert. And then so a lot of times I couldn't even join the physical education class because I would faint <laughs> during the class because I wasn't eating well and um, I had like many couple surgeries. So, and then during that time, so I became this um, mentality of the victim mentality. So I said, okay, I'm a good kid stuck in a bad environment. I blame my parents. You know, I blame my um, bullies. I blame the teacher who couldn't do it, right? But in the college, as I listened to um, Sunday messages, the Sunday messages began to tell me I was a sinner. And you know, initially I just kind of nodded, okay, I'm a sinner, I need Christ. But then God began to speak to me in a deeper way. Um, I read a book, uh, Loving God by Chuck Colson. And in that book, he mentions the story of a Jewish-Russian doctor, uh, Dr. Kornfeld, who was imprisoned in Soviet gulag uh, wrongly, unjustly. So here's a guy who could blame anything, right? He played about the book, he was a communist, he did everything for the country, yet he was wrongly imprisoned by um, quote-unquote Christians. And yet, in that gulag, he found God. And then he, mentioned, he says this to uh, one of the prisoners who was with him. He says, if you go over your life with a fine-tooth comb and ponder it deeply, you will always be able to hunt down the transgression of yours 
for which you have now received this blow. When I first read, I was like, wow, you know, this is a guy who could probably blink everybody, anybody. And yet he's saying, I actually deserve to be here. You know, not necessarily deserve, but then he was taking in all the things. And then I began to look at myself and I could see the, all the hatred I had for um, my parents' pride for having achieved something out of nothing, despising others who couldn't keep up with me, and the rejection of God. And last couple of weeks ago, it was a lot, John, Pastor John Perke preached on woman at the well. And in that conversation, Jesus tells her, go call your husband and come back. And when I read that verse during that time, it was like Jesus saying, go back to your life, look at what you have, and come back to me as you are. It's like um, he was saying, look at where you are, look at your need, look at know that you uh, a sinner, because in the Romans 3.10, it says, no one is righteous, not one, no one. And 3.11, it says, no one, does, no one seeks for God. And then Luke 5.31-32, it says, Jesus answered them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And in 1 John 1.8-10, it says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we take him a liar and his word is not in us. He had to die on the cross for our sins. He had to die on the cross for each one of us. Am I convinced that I was the one who put him out there? That Jesus loved me so much that he died. It really makes me think because am I quick to criticize others? Um, do I give grace to other people? Or do I even give grace to myself when I sin or when I mess up? Because do I lean on my performance or do I lean on His grace? Because in Hebrews 4, 15 and 16, it says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every aspect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So the question is, do we know that it is us, it is my sin, that put Jesus on the cross and that he died for me? And when he died, we all died to ourselves and he given us new life. Are we convinced of that? And so let us all confess that we died on the cross with Christ because of our sin. But that's not the end of it, right? Sometimes we stay in that place of, oh, we are sinners, we deserve to die, we died on the cross. But it continues on. It brings up the uh, third point. How can we be compelled by his love? By living for him. In this, uh, verse 15, it says, He died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Here, Jesus did not leave us on Friday at the cross, but he gave us Sunday when Jesus rose from the dead 
and he gave us a mission, right? In Galatians, Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me, in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. We, are we convinced of that? Are we convinced that when we die with Christ on the cross, he also raised us up and he given us new life and he gives us a new mission. The, our, the life that we live is not just for ourselves, but for God. But what does it mean to live for him? Is it to become a missionary? Is it to become a pastor? Is it to become uh, some staff in the church? What is it? You know, because sometimes we have this mind of living for God as something big. Um, my grandmother is 99 years old and she lives in LA. And my mom is there now because we don't know how many days she actually has left. Uh, her body is failing. And when I look at her life, in a worldly sense, there's not much there because she was well off and then she lost everything. And then so, she, you know, before she used to live in a mansion and then she ended up living in a one room place with no bathroom or no kitchen, which is the one faucet and an outhouse out the door. But she would tell me that when I was growing up, she said she found Christ in that time. And then she used to tell me, even though she suffered so much, she'd take it because she found Christ in that midst of that humiliation, in the midst of that um, living in the one room place with our house. But because of she found Christ, she said she'd take it. And then she prayed for me. And I know that when I became a Christian, that it was her prayer for me for over 20 years that led me to become a Christian. And so when I look at her life, worldly, there's not much there. But her life, even if I just me being become a Christian, I'll say that so. It's a, it is great in God's sight. So it's just not one th big thing. It could be loving one person. It could be praying for that one person. Or it could be showing the act of kindness that one person. Mother Teresa said, if you cannot feed millions, start with one. So today, are we willing to do that? Because when we do, the, the Christ love will compel us. Because I'll tell you one more story. So, there was a guy that I really trusted a lot, like over 10 years. Um, I followed him. I treated him like an older brother. But then later he betrayed me. He hurt me and my family. And then as I was consumed by the anger for revenge and all this, Lord's prayer came to me, forgive us as we forgive others. And as I was struggling, to forgive this guy. As I realized how hard it is to forgive, the forgiveness of God for myself became even more real. The fact that Jesus died for me and raised me and he has forgiven me 
became a lot more real as I tried to forgive. And so in our lives, as we try to love that one person, the love of God that He has for us becomes even greater. As we pray for that one person, the prayer that somebody prayed for you, the, Christ, the love that Christ has for you becomes bigger. And then you will compel us because we are convinced beyond doubt that Christ loves us. That no matter what, that He loves us. Whether we fail, whether we sin each day, whether we make a mistake, His love is not shaken. And that each day He will walk with us. In Joshua 1 9, it says, He will be with you no matter wherever you go. That verse becomes a reality for us. Because no matter where we go, no matter what we do, the Lord God is with us. And then we'll be convinced of that. Amen. So, as I conclude, the question to ask ourselves is, are we compelled by His love for us? Is it just an agreement? Or are we being compelled? And we can be compelled when we are convinced of His love. And we will be compelled when we know our need for His love in our lives and for His grace. And then we will be compelled when we try to live for Him in the small ways and big ways. So let us pray. Lord, just, we just thank You for Your love for each one of us. And thank You that You pour Your grace up and love on us each day and each moment. Help us be the people who are compelled by your love for us each day so that we may know the depth of greatness of your love that you have poured out for us. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.